Adultery. It's not an unforgivable sin, but it has to be one of the worst things a human can do to another human. It's not accidental. It's a calculated decision made after it has been developed and nurtured in the heart. It kills, steals, and destroys. It breaks trust, covenants, and hearts. And it's never just between the two people committing it. The other spouse, children, parents, and friends are also caught up in this needless, selfish, and willful, sinful act. It not only breaks a covenant, but it also breaks a commandment given to us by our Creator who knows what's best for us. So, is there a divine remedy for this? Has Father God appointed a specific person for each of us? What about divorce and remarriage? What is a soul tie? Even if we've never committed the physical act of adultery, could we be guilty of spiritual adultery? I want to know. It is our great honor once again to welcome each and every one of you to this episode of the Doctrine of Christ. And we do so cheerfully because whether you know it or not, the Doctrine of Christ is the most important thing in your life. And that is the object of this series, to help people realize just how important Jesus Christ is and his doctrine. Brother Jimmy honored to be here once again. It's great to be here. You uh, ready for tomorrow? The big, uh, we're ready. Big we're turkey gonna day. A, we're going to have a house full here tomorrow. It's going to be a great time. We're looking forward to it. You're going to yeah. have the downstairs at the Puritan barn full of people or you just... No, we're going to be here in, in your in, house. Okay. Yeah. And we're going to be packed with friends and nice. It is going to be so nice. We're really looking forward to it. It's going to be a great time. Going to be a great time. Indeed. And it's going to be a great time this evening in the Word of God. We're going to talk about some things that, as usual, I bet you haven't heard people talk about before, but we're going to get into some stuff, and we're not going to skirt issues. And um, we're going to be talking about things of a sexual nature, and we're going to be doing so very discreetly in the Scripture, not in a tawdry way, but we're going to talk about several things that really need to be talked about because they're in the scripture. So let's go. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Five words that are certainly huge and something that we want to get on the table quickly is the absolute seriousness of adultery And this is something from Thomas Watson. Brother Watson says, adultery without repentance damns the soul. Adultery without repentance damns the soul. And this is something in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. And I think as we get into the depth of this commandment, that I'm sure that we've all been guilty of adultery in some form as we see the depth of this. According to Jesus, I'm sure we all have. (laughs) Yeah. 
and uh, we're going to be looking at that, discussing it. We want to read the scripture also in First Corinthians chapter six, verse nine and ten. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. As the you've already alluded to, we see that in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28, we know what our Lord said in this scripture, and he said that adultery, you know, and the thing about the law, when we go to the Torah, it deals with the external act, and the law under Christ, it goes deeper than that, and it goes to the intent of the heart. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 28, Jesus said, but I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. How come he didn't say that to women? She that looks upon a man. <laughs> well, it, it certainly applies there too, doesn't it? And we're going to have some things we're going to be talking about that relate to the way that women and young ladies dress. And uh, this is another thing that, oh boy, you want to stir up some stuff. Man, if if the disciples and and Moses and all those guys lived in today's times, <laughs> with with some of the clothes I see or lack of I see sometimes. And there was a. It's hard to keep this mind. Yeah, at bay sometimes. That called himself a missionary to America, and we need them. You know, if you're in foreign lands and have a call to preach to the pagan, please come to America. And this young man made the statement that the, uh, you know, said, you know, well, what do you think about America? And what he said was, I cannot get over the way that the women dress. He says, it's just embarrassing and just so outrageous. And, you know, a lot of times we would consider Africa a pagan nation, and certainly they got their paganism. But this young man was embarrassed because in the regular day-to-day society, they would not think about dressing in the way that women did here. And the bar is set so low that certainly we're going to have to talk to the men and we're going to have to talk to the women tonight. Well, think about it, though. Back in that day when, when this was being written and, and Jesus was saying what he said, when you look at the culture, women were dressed from head to toe. Like, you couldn't see anything. And, yeah. and But yet, this is still something that gets addressed all the time. If it was a problem then, that's what I was saying, how would these guys deal with today? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, the bar is set so low. And I love to be able to go back and see the things that the Puritans wrote, because over and over again, I find the Puritans, Wesley, uh, such good common sense advice. And in Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 14, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from 
sin. But if you think about it, if you wake up in the morning, you watch the news, and boy, there's a commercial that in the commercials, let alone the shows. I mean, you'll just see stuff to get your eyes going for adultery. Then you go out and it just keeps going. And a lot of people are so ungoverned in this, having eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. And our society has become so accustomed to it. That is the American way. Everything in American uh, advertising, sex sales, and uh, the Hardee's and the Carl Jr.'s hamburger commercials. I mean, it's, you know, I, we could give a million examples. Yeah. It's just everywhere. It's everywhere more than any place else. And the scripture that would apply to the women and the young ladies would be in the book of Proverbs chapter seven and verse 10. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of and harlot and subtle of heart and the attire of a harlot. This is something that to be honest, many children, many mothers dress their children like harlots Mm -hmm. and you know, Oh, but isn't she so cute? Yeah. And, um, and the trend now, the trend now is to dress prepubescent girls in an alluring fashion. And of course, this is the whole thing. We've seen it in the advertising. Uh, that was that Netflix movie that was just absolutely abominable. Yeah. And people will fall into this. They'll fall into this, uh, thing of, wow, this is cool. This is what, uh, and you're just setting your children up for absolute destruction. And Thomas Watson had something here. Uh, that is very sobering. And he had a comment about the actual nature of this. And it's so true. He said, look to your attire. We read of the attire of a harlot where the sign is hung out. People will go in and taste the liquor. And this is so true. You know, this is so true. And our, our young men, our old men, And our young ladies and our old ladies, we need to be aware of this, that we live in a society that has made lewdness an everyday way of life. Now, let's go to the scripture in Job chapter 31 and 1. And this is the attitude we got to have. I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then? Should I think upon a maid? He made a covenant. And Joseph Carl, the Puritan, he said this. He said the sum of this verse is Job's care, yea, carefulness to preserve himself pure from all taints of unchastity unchastity and uncleanness, even to a thought, even to a thought. And in verse 11 of Job 31, for this is a heinous crime. Yea, it is an iniquity to be punished by the judges. And even before Job was written before the Torah, and even then, godly people considered 
adultery, a heinous crime, not just a little crime, but a heinous crime. And Joseph Carl, in part of his distinguishing of, you know, the difference between fornication and adultery, in adultery, you're breaking a covenant. He says, therefore, adultery is a covenant breaking as well as a commandment breaking sin. That is the wife with whom thou hast covenanted to be hers as well as he to be thine only. The covenant is reciprocal. The husband is to be the husband of her covenant and the wife is to be the wife of the covenant. Marriage is a covenant and it's a solemn covenant. And, you know, more and more and more needs to be said about the importance of marriage and in our commandment. On honoring your father and the mother, we talked about the assault upon the family and the breakdown. And now some polls say the divorce rate among professed Christians is higher than the non. And obviously something has gone severely wrong. And yeah. we need to get back to the word of God and to get back to the word of God and not budge off of it. Well, marriage nowadays is so much just like dating. Like, while it's good, it's great. We, we don't get along. Let's just, let's just quit. Yeah. My mom and dad told me, and they've been married 54 years now, I think. And they, t they both at different times have said, look, Jimmy, there's been, there was times in our marriage, we hated each other's guts, <laughs> but <laughs> we don't quit. And, 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 and my mom said, people give up too quick because there's this hill and once you get over this hill, it's like better than the beginning. You know, it's yeah. just you, you cross over this to this even better place. And most people never make it that far. Yeah. And most people never intend to make it that far. Yeah. The well, I, I intended on making it that far. I just I, it didn't work out. <laughs> well, a lot of people have done there and been there and done that. Yeah. And we understand there's situations where things happen. We get that. But um we also get that the bar is so low that we need to up the bar. We really need to talk about the seriousness of this. And adultery is forgivable. But what I see that really troubles me, two people get together. There's an affair. The person committing the affair goes to another person he committed the affair with. They get married, and then he says, well, I'm sorry about the affair I had. I've repented. Well, it's up to God whether he has forgiveness or not. But if you were really sorry for your son, you would leave that person and go back to your wife and try to reconcile if, if she would have your rotten little self. But it's a, it's a thing that God has to judge. But I see people playing fast and loose with this so much. Another area, and I agree, uh, I have and would in certain instances, marry people without an official state license because the pace of paper doesn't make you married. But at the same time, I think a lot of people make that an easy out that people will say, well, we're not going to get legally married. That saves them from the commitment. And uh, they use this as a way to just play fast and loose. Right. And so right. there's a lot of that going on. And I tell you, a lot of people are going to be in hell from playing fast and loose with the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. It's a very, very, very serious thing. Very serious, mm -hmm. as all 
of God commandments are. They're not ten suggestions. Yeah. And um, always true repentance will bring true forgiveness. Now, in Genesis 24, 44, this is something else I believe. And I believe that each and every person out there, that God has a person for you that would be the ideal or husband and wife for you. Now, in Genesis 24, 44, some people don't believe that. I don't. Genesis 24, 44. I hope you're right. And she say to me, both drink thou, and I will also draw for thy camels. Let the same be the woman whom the Lord hath appointed out for my master's son. Mm. And this was the servant of Abraham going to fetch uh, the wife and bring back Rebekah for Isaac. And it says here that uh, the Lord had a woman appointed for the master's son. And I believe there's somebody appointed for each and every one of us. And um, there's just a lot, and a lot of people, they will settle for Mr. Right now instead of Mr. Right. And uh, there's just so many people that ruin their lives by marrying people that they should never marry and not getting the proper confirmation from the Lord on this. And in Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 14, houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers and a prudent wife is from the Lord. A prudent wife is a gift from God. So this makes me believe that there is a God-ordained appointment that each man and woman has. So this is something, one of the most, what could be much more important than who you marry? And this is something that people really, really need to seek God after. And uh, this is something that we can't say enough about. I feel like I say this every week, but especially in the days and times we're living in. Oh, yeah. To make sure that that's right and that you're on the same page. Because if we're going through some stuff, you need to be on the same page uh, all the way around. Oh, and we're going to be going through some stuff. Yeah. We're going through stuff now. Um, I'm getting reports now just yesterday that in Australia, they're sending unvaccinated people to camps. They are. And also yesterday, the reports that in Austria, they're locking people down in their homes. And uh, there are now, and this has been tremendously kept out of the media, thousands of people are in the streets, even in liberal places like Brussels, protesting this. It's being kept out of the news, even out of a lot of your so-called conservative, quote unquote, news outlets. It's really frightening that uh, people are going to the camps. Yeah. And we need to realize, especially, my goodness, uh, you need to be around the wife you can trust and also the friends you can trust because we're coming into some very serious times. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Watson on page 154 said, that which makes adultery so sinful is that it is needless. God has provided a remedy to prevent it. And that remedy to prevent adultery, it is marriage. And in first Corinthians. Didn't he say that was like a rich man stealing? Yeah. Yeah. He had no need. A rich man doesn't have any need to steal anything. 
Yeah. And um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 2, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. I think this pretty much says, you know, and there's things Paul says about uh, it's okay to be single, but this is pretty much the way people are made. Uh, It's a good thing to have a husband and to have a wife. And as you would say, especially in the days that we're living in, we need to get every woman needs to have that man to be a helpmate and every man You've got to have that woman to be your helpmate. We really, really need that more than ever. And this is embedded within the very symbolism of the church in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined into his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And the relationship of the unity between the husband and the wife is compared to that with Christ and the church. It's a big deal. And like we talked about in the commandment, this is the glue of honor your father and your mother. This is the glue that holds it all together. And when Satan, uh, he's been so successful in messing this up that we've got to go back. We've got to lay this foundation again in no uncertain terms, because when people do not have this right, you're going to be off just on everything. Hmm. Now, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13 and verse 4, the scripture says here, marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Now, there's a statement that Brother Pink said, and he died just, I think, maybe the year I was born in 1950. So this is back a ways, but so much more needful now. But this is what he said. And certainly, God blesses the marriage bed. He blesses it, and he gives the husband and wife the freedom to enjoy that. But this is what Brother Pink said. Though marriage is the divinely appointed remedy for the sin of sexual uncleanness that does not grant man the license to make a beast of himself. Let it be not supposed by married persons that all things are lawful to them. Every man should observe sobriety toward his wife and every wife reciprocally toward her husband, conducting themselves in such a manner as to do nothing unbecoming. And there are things today, and I'm not going to give any examples, and we're going to talk about a lot of things, and don't email and ask me specific sexual questions. I will not answer them. I absolutely will not. You're going to have to work that out with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. But there are so many things out there that are just a click away on the Internet that are so perverse and so abnormal that more and more it's a common, common thing for these type of things to be brought into the marriage bed. When the Bible says, like Brother Pink said, that the marriage bed is honorable and it's blessed by God for the pleasure and enjoyment of the man and the wife, a great blessing from God, that this doesn't mean that you can bring the devil into the bed with you. 
And boy, there is so much of that. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 5 and verse 18, it says, Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind in pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. And you know, a lot of people, they have the Puritans uh, stereotyped as just a bunch of crusty, dumb bollockses. And I remember the movie, I think it was entitled The Pilgrims. It was a 19, early 50s movie. Spencer Tracy was in it. And in this movie, Spencer Tracy was a ship captain bringing Puritans from England to the New World. And on the trip over, there was a beautiful young lady married to a Puritan man. And he was such a dumb bunny that Spencer Tracy steals him away and has an adultery all the way to the New World. You know, and it is just disgusting the way the Puritans have been stereotyped. But I love uh, Thomas Watson's comment on this. He said, it is not having a wife, but loving a wife that makes a man live chastely. He who loves his wife, whom Solomon calls his fountain, will not go abroad to drink of muddy, poison waters. Pure conjugal love is a gift of God and comes from heaven. But like the vestal fire, it must be cherished that it go not out. He who loves not his wife is the likeliest person to embrace the bosom of a stranger. Very, very good advice. And um, I tell you what, that's worth the price of admission tonight. You know, uh, that, that scripture you read right before that just made a question pop up in my head where it said, the wife of thy youth. So what, what about people when they get like my age and, and you know, I'm not with the wife of my youth and should I just forget about this from now on and, and just, I mean, how, how do people like me deal with stuff like that? When it says the wife of your youth. Well, um, even people older than you, Jimmy, don't want to forget about it. Yeah. And I, my advice to you, we'll just do some on-air counseling here. My advice to you, and you hear this out there, godly women, that you certainly have a divinely appointed mate out there for you. I believe that, and um, that would be my prayer for you. But you see, this is something that doesn't go away. There's not an expiration date on it after 40, 50 years. You know, um, this is a, it's a wonderful thing. It's the gift of God, and um, yeah, it isn't something that goes away like, oh, you're over 30, you're not a youth anymore. Well, I've just heard people say things over the years like, well, you know, once you get over 50, you're, you're, you're not going to be making babies anymore. You're not going to be, you know, you don't need to get married. And because now it's just for, for your own selfish desires. And there's really no God, uh, godly reason to get married at this point. That's pretty much the Catholic understanding. Yeah. The Catholic understanding that sex is for procreation only. That's not true, and I believe the Puritan understanding 
just like Brother Watson said, that pure conjugal love is a gift from God. And it is that gift of God. And it's the gift of God for the man and woman eternally, as long as they're in this life together. And um, I'm with the Puritans, not with the Catholics. And that's what the Bible says. You know, so we're on pretty good ground there. Okay. So I think this. Well, I didn't year, mean to derail you at all, oh, but no, that I just know that. Derailed. That's, that's I, I, going right down the rails. Yeah, I've heard. I've just heard people say that before. So sometimes it just makes me think, well, maybe I shouldn't be concerned. But then I think about these days and times we live in. It'd be great to have a partner, you know, to to oh, yeah. uh, go through this with. All right. Well, you heard that, girls. All right. Ephesians 5 and 5. Now. We're going to go from preaching to really start meddling now. You just made a note to edit that out, didn't you? Yeah, I'm going to edit that whole section <laughs> okay, out. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm making it hard on you today, and I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said that. All right, well, let's go ahead. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. For this ye know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, what has been added to this scripture? No whoremonger, comma, nor unclean person. Now, there are matters of uncleanness that come into sexual behavior. And this scripture, you know, when people read this anymore, uh, there's the basic understanding that the things that the scriptures say defile no longer defile. Defilement still a reality. Our cleansing is different. We are now cleansed by the blood of Christ. But defilement is still a reality. Now, let's think about some things here. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 15 and verse 24. And a lot of these things, I am just going to read the scripture. And I'm going to read some other comments. I mean, you can comment as you will, but I'm not going to get into inappropriate detail on these things. I think they're very clear. And uh, the, I mean, these are things that uh, sex is a big deal. And sex is probably one of the number one weapons Satan has. So we oh, really yeah. need to know what the Bible says. And we yeah. shouldn't be embarrassed about talking about it. While at the same time, we don't want to get tawdry. Well, we're all here as a result of it, so. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Now, here's one we don't hear much, but we probably should. In Leviticus 15, 24. And if any man lie with her at all, and her flowers be upon him, he shall be unclean seven days and all the bed whereon he lieth shall be unclean. And, of course, the the flowers be, is the word in the scripture for the menstrual period of the woman. And this is something that's defiling in the word of God. And on down in Leviticus fifteen sixteen, or on back up, it says, And if any man's seed of copulation go out from him, then he shall wash all his flesh in water and be unclean until the even. And I want to say also there's a difference between sin and uncleanness. That sin is damning and ignorant uncleanness is not 
damning. We're going to get into some more specific nuances of that. But at the same time, we read the scripture in Ephesians that no unclean person is going to enter in. So we just don't want to dismiss these things out of hand. And just like Brother Pink said, you know, just because that bed's undefiled, that don't mean that every crazy thing you want to think of to do is just right and proper. And people that have the spirit of God in them, you know, they're going to know if they never seen a lot of these scriptures that, you know, this just isn't what they ought to be doing. Right. Now, you know, it just reminds me of stuff you said in every season at some point of the, of the DOC. There's a lot of things that, that, that are defiling. And, and I remember we did an episode just about proper way to eat. And, you know, the conclusion was, well, if you eat certain things, the Bible says not to, is it going to send you to hell? Maybe not. But is it defiling your temple? Definitely. And, and that along with that defilement comes a lack of ability to connect fully spiritually, right, with God. That's exactly right. And like you can't priest, get to the place you really want to get to with, with when there's still defilement. Yeah. When the priest was defiled in the Levitical system, he could not enter in to the holy place or certainly into the most holy to minister. Yeah. So while we're not Levitical priests, that moral law still applies that defile people, we can't enter in, you know, so this hurts people more than they would ever, ever think or understand. Mm. Now, another scripture in Genesis 38 and nine, and I'm not going to get into the different possible interpretations here, but I'm going to read the scripture and some comments here. It says, and Onan knew that his seed should not be his. And it came to pass when he went in unto his brother's wife, that he spilled it on the ground, lest that he should give seed to his brother. And I'll say also now, the reason for this law was that the inheritance in the land, while they were in the land, that the brother was obligated to raise up seed if his brother's wife died, so that the land would stay within the family. We're not in the land, that doesn't apply. So (laughs) don't nobody... Try to use that to justify uh, your sin. That is not going to work with Father. Now, I want to read John Gill's comment on this. John Gill said this, And this is the sin which from him is called Onania, a sin condemned by the lie of nature as well as by the word of God, and very prejudicial to mankind as well as displeasing to God. And when I read John Gill's comment, I said, Onania, well, what in the world is that? And I began to search and look, and Onania was a word in England that meant masturbation. And there's actually a pamphlet. If you would Google Onania, there's a pamphlet you can read online that was published in London in the early 1700s by a doctor called The Dangers of Onania. And it, Sounds like the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something maybe kind of close to that. But anyway, that's there. And uh, that's that's what the Bible says. And 
Let's go into the Gospel of Mark chapter 7, and let's try to think of this issue of defilement. Uh, There's a difference between defilement and sin, but willful defilement could be damnable. Mark chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with undefiled, that is to, with defiled, that is to say, with unwashed hands, they found fault. Now, in this context, down in verse 15, the scripture says, there is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile him. I want to read the comment from the word biblical commentary. It really gets it right. And the comment says this, therefore, Mark 7, verse 1 and 2, in our earliest traditional context, applied 715 ultimately to food, though to food eaten with defiled hands and not directly to the question of unclean foods or the food laws of Leviticus 11. And I say, hallelujah, that's exactly right. We're not, and of course, this is a text, and we're going to see how people try to use this to justify defiling themselves with pork and lobster and whatever they want to defile themselves with. But we're talking about food. Have you ever heard of oyster dressing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, who would who would eat that? I used to love it. <laughs> I mean, I used to love it. I knew oyster. that. I was messing with you. Yeah, but no I heard more. a story. I, yeah, I bet you I know who you heard it from. But I used to love oyster dressing. and uh, I loved all – I ate all that defile. Uh, I can't believe oh, it. I can't believe I'm I so glad to be it. delivered. I am too, and uh, I absolutely can do without that now. Yep. And the and going on in uh, verses eighteen and nineteen of Mark seven, and he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he saith, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth a man. For within, out of the heart of men, proceedeth evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile the man. Now, what is specifically being said here is that defilement's a matter of the heart. Now, let's say that we're out at a restaurant eating, which is getting more and more difficult all the time, and somebody back in the kitchen accidentally drops a piece of pork into our soup. Kind of yucky thought. But if a person eats that and you don't even notice it, you're not defiled because your heart did not consent to that. Right. But let's say you go out and you know that pork is unclean and you willfully eat it. You are defiled. And if you know that there's things that defile a person under God's moral law and you just habitually do them, I fear you could even lose your soul for that. Mm. 
And the same thing, too. I actually knew, uh, got a report from a lady that was a Hebrew root congregation out east that literally when women would have their period, they would make them put a, a red a red patch, you know, on themselves. Now, please just stop. And I will say this to men and women that, you know, First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we study back in our DLC in the Lord's Prayer, I think every man and woman should pray for forgiveness and cleansing every day. And the lady that has her flowers upon her, you don't have to wait so long and go to do the sacrifice in the Levitical system. Your cleansing and your purity is from Christ. So guys, you know, you don't have to build a shed at back to put your wife in. You know, this isn't necessary. This is just not understanding what defilement is or what cleansing is. So our cleansing is in Christ. So we don't have to walk around with a, a goofy paranoia that's not of God. And at the same time, we want to understand what God's moral law does say about the things that really do defile and walk in purity, because this is a much bigger issue than what we would think. Uh, and the way you treat your wife and the way the wife treats her husband, this is a big deal about what kind of a relationship you're going to have with God, with other people, and being able to enter into the deeper spiritual things to hear from him. Very, very, very. Well, it's like when you, when you were teaching the uh, honor, honor Your Parents episode, you you had a section where you're really talking about the the husband and the wife and the wife and the husband because that family unit, you know, is the core to society. You know the way God had it planned for us as how we treat each other. So this is all part of it too. You know, the adultery thing and 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 you know I read something that Watson said that uh, another thing that's so horrible about adultery is that you don't just accidentally commit that sin you yeah. make a conscious decision yeah to do that and you're hurting not just your own soul you're causing someone else to hurt their soul you know there's a lot of planning a lot of lying and a lot of conniving that just goes into first doing it then cover it up and that one act breaks probably eight if not all <laughs> of the ten commandments because you're coveting, you're lying, you're stealing, uh, you're bearing false witness probably to some degree somewhere, and uh, you're not honoring your parents for sure. You're not loving God. Well, I mean, I mean, maybe the Sabbath might be the only one, that, unless you're committing well, an act on the Sabbath. It affects the family. It there's so much damage done to the children. I mean, so much damage. It's 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 awful. Like it says in Job thirty one eleven, it's a heinous crime. Yeah, it's a heinous crime, and yet this is a adulterous generation. There is forgiveness with true repentance. We have to emphasize that. And you know, God but, laid all these rules out for our protection, not for our keeping us from having fun. Oh yeah, this is for our and, protection. And there, and here again, it's not the fault of the Freemasons or the witches that these things aren't being taught. This is the fault of the Christians that have got away from the Ten Commandments and the deep, deep implications of them. 
And uh, my goodness, we've got to have um, a big return to the Word of God. A friend of mine has shared a few of, of our Ten Commandments videos on their channel, and they're getting some comments like, you know, we don't have to do the Ten Commandments anymore. That's old. I mean, just so many of those comments. It's so, and it's by just people who really are claiming Christianity, and and uh, so it's just, it's not surprising, but it's but it, to some level it is surprising. Yeah, and I had one individual tell me that they attended a church and they talked with the pastor and said, "Well, we believe in all the Bible," and the pastor said, "You're in the wrong church." <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the way all these places are. I mean, they're up front, you know, they're that brazen about it. It's gone. It's out of here. Uh, don't even think about it. Don't you go there. So the old Testament is more of just a history book. And then the new Testament is what we live by. Is that I how they view that? I, I don't, I think a lot of them, uh, they don't like to even bring it up. Yeah. Uh, I, it's, it's terrible. How extreme. Or just look at, look at, how awful that was. And we don't have to live that way anymore. This that's, I mean, maybe that's another way they look at it. <laughs> yeah. And while we're in the neighborhood, I would be remiss if I did not point out, uh, the difference in the translations here in Mark seven nineteen in the King James, it says, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly it goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. Now, the Dr. Dave interpretation of that, it means it comes in one end and it goes out the other. Now, notice how the NIV changes that. It says, uh, in, and it adds this in, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. And instead of in one end and out the other, this is a ticket from the apostate Bible to eat anything you want to that will defile you. Now, do you think that that's added into the the manuscript that they translate from, or it did, or is just that translation add that? Well, it's added in specifically in the NIV, and even here in the NIV, it's in black and not red. Even they admit it's They're not admitting something. Jesus didn't say that. He didn't say it. And they added wow. in on the basis of clarification, you right. see. And here's the difference between a Bible that will uh, practice verbal equivalency or dynamic equivalency. In verbal equivalency, and the King James Bible is the only one that sticks to that. If there's a word in the Hebrew, the Greek, there will be a corresponding word in the English. And in some cases, there's parentheses because in the nature of translation, you have to clarify things to make it make sense in the translation because the Greek language is much more complex than the English. Right. But when you give your opinion of what something means, You've gone beyond translation into commentary, and that's all that is, and it's ungodly commentary. And I, before I understood that the King James Bible was the Bible, I used this very verse to justify eating anything I wanted. This very verse in the NIV Bible. Million, well, I don't know if millions, but many, many other people have done the same thing. 
This is not something, this NIV Bible is not something that will lead you to holiness. It will lead you to defilement and quite likely right into the bowels of hell. You know what? Even if Jesus had said that, what that, that translation says, he said all food's clean. Well, Jesus didn't consider pig food. Jews yeah. did not consider pigs food or shellfish or any of that stuff. So even if he did say he declared all foods clean, he's really just talking about what, what we all consider to be food. It's clean when it goes in because that's just how it all works. Yeah. He, he didn't and, say all, all animals are clean or all whatever you decide you want to eat is clean. Yeah. And it, it is something that it, it absolutely wasn't said by Christ. And here again, we go back to what Deuteronomy and Revelation say, you don't add to the word of God. And this is nothing but that. It's just adding in. Well, I think if I add this in, it'll help everybody. Well, no, it'll defile everybody. You don't, this is why I say, don't mess with my Bible. You know what happens when I think I get in trouble. That's right. (laughs) And we need to believe. And of course we study and we meditate, but, um, we need to believe the word of God, not interpret it. Yeah. And this is, it's abomination to think that we can help God out. That's that whole exegesis, isogesis thing you, you talk about sometimes. That's exactly yeah. what that is. All right. Let's talk a little bit about divorce. And um, this is Wilhelmus Brockell on page 206 of volume three, what he said about divorce. Just so straight up the line right, he says, if the one spouse commits adultery, then the other spouse may leave the adulterous one, file for divorce, and remarry. And if a person wants to try to reconcile, seek forgiveness and restoration, this is certainly okay. And in many cases, it's a great thing to do. It's also true that in the case of undeniable adultery, the innocent party is absolutely free to put the other person away and free to remarry to what they want. It says the person that has been divorced due to committing adultery may not remarry. And whoever marries such a person also commits adultery. And this is something also that is very little considered. I'll read that again. The person that has been divorced due to committing adultery may not remarry. And whatever relationship they enter into is illegitimate. Now, again, there are people, uh, it's not the unforgivable sin, but for true forgiveness to come, there must be true repentance. And this is something that people play so fast and loose with. And when you're choosing your person that you're going to spend your life with, you better take this very seriously in your considerations. Because today, people are erring so much on the side of looseness, of what they can get away with, rather than what's really pleasing to God. Now, let's read the scriptures in Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. In the doctrine of Christ, Jesus said this, and this exactly lines up with what Brother Brokel said. But I say unto you, 
that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there are some things Paul said here that are also worthy of consideration on the topic we're discussing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And let's read verses 10 and 11 because there's way too much of this. It says, And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried. Now notice that, you know, girls don't leave, but, and if she depart, there are times that you got to go. There are times when there's physical abuse, where there's other situations that would warrant not only that you can leave, but you should leave. And uh, this is not something that God commands, and I've seen this also, that God does not want anyone to stay in a relationship that's going to endanger your your personal safety or that of your children. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. And there's an interesting passage in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. And in Malachi, let's look at chapter 2, and let's read verses 15 and 16. And in this text, it talks about dealing treacherous. And if you're treacherous, that means that you're threatening. You know, uh, treacherous means threatening, violent. And in Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, And did not he make one, yet had he the residue of the Spirit, and wherefore one, that he might seek a godly seed? Therefore take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. And And usually this is the case of the man. There are cases where the woman can do this also. But in the case where the wife is being dealt treacherously with, she has every right to leave, every right to leave. Uh, In verse 16, and uh, that does not mean to divorce, but she has the right to leave. In verse 16, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. For one covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of hosts, therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. God hates putting away, and if you try to cover up your violence that you're doing against your spouse, God's going to reveal it. And this is something that also leads us to another topic uh, we're going to talk about very soon, uh, the subject of soul ties. But a couple more scriptures from Paul first Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 12. It says, but to the rest speak I, not the Lord. But if any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, 
let him not put her away. Now, this is it. Let's talk about this for a minute. This does not justify or encourage marrying an unbeliever. Absolutely not. But there are cases where you could have two unsaved people get married and someone will get saved. And then you have an unbelieving spouse there. That's what that's speaking to. Absolutely. That isn't justifying. I tell you what, not only when someone's a professed believer, you better believe that you're singing out of the same hymn book, that it's the doctrine of Christ for you and nothing else. Uh, or I guarantee you, you're going to cause yourself a bunch, bunch, bunch of trouble. And in verse 15, it says, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. When an unbelieving spouse or husband departs and leaves the other ones deserted, they're not in bondage. And a lot of times, just because a people says they're a believer, doesn't make them a believer. Not all that jumps is Jack. I, I've said I was a believer my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I found out that wasn't true. Yeah. Until recently. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I I think that we have to throw away the rose-colored glasses in believing that everyone says they're believers born again. Uh, that's yeah. obviously not the yeah, case. Jesus, Jesus addressed that too, didn't he? Yeah, I did. And I'm gonna, uh, I got a Friday night message cooking where I'm going to really deal with that. I'm going to base it on Stephen Sharnock's uh, writing, The Nature of Regeneration. We need to understand what the Bible says about people that are born again. And uh, people ain't like that. They're not born again. And we need to get this. Uh, I mean, it's awful uh, the way some people live that name the name of Christ. But in Genesis 2.24, here's another important point. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And this was uh, quoted by Jesus in the doctrine of Christ in Matthew chapter 10 and verse eight, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. Now in marriage, it is the sexual act that consummates the marriage and makes them one. It's also true that when people indiscriminately fornicate, that there's a coming together that creates a bond there. That's the nature of the sexual act. And there's a term that I use also. Uh, it's called the soul tie. And and also, uh, there's so much here. We could talk about the transference of spirits during the sexual act, a huge thing. And we always told our children that if you choose to have sex with someone, you're also having sex with everyone they've ever had sex with because these spirits will transfer. And the, uh, you have a chapter in that victim to, yeah, that victim book you guys wrote, right? Yeah. In our victim to victors book, we talk about the soul tie because, and the way we explain it, it's just like if, and to become one, that means you're glued together. And like when people come together, in the sexual act, it's like two pieces of paper being glued together. And then when you pull them apart, part of this paper is on this one. And part of this paper is on the other one. And there's, uh, this is the nature 
of the sexual act in the spirit. It's true within the bounds of matrimony, and it's true without. And this is why you can see um, I have seen some very nice-looking young ladies that are getting the snot beat out of them on a regular basis by some guy that's a worthless slug that won't work, uh, looks like a slob, but yet they'll get the snot beat out of them and they'll run right back. There's a soul tie there that uh, needs to be broken. Mm-hmm. And you, you talk also about the husband that's henpecked and the wife just dominates him and does, I mean, it's ridiculous the things that some wives do to their husband. And this is because they're soul tie and it's, it's totally ungodly. These things need to be broken and uh, in the name, and they can be, these things can be broken in the name of Jesus. And when young people or old people or any kind of people are thinking about coming together in a relationship, this garbage needs to be cleaned up out of their life before they come together. And um, it's, uh, I tell you what, marriage is such a beautiful thing, but there is so, so very much that the devil has done to muddy the waters and to get people off uh, in the right, wrong track. Truly, I think sex is one of his biggest weapons that he's got going for him. Yeah. Now, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 27. And you know, every day from sun up to sundown. Uh, I see what you did there. Pardon? I see what you did there. You just what? defined when a day starts. Yeah, I did. That's right, Jimmy. I did. That's right. Uh, go back and watch our Sabbath teaching on the Sabbath. And and I know people that uh, personally, that since that Sabbath teaching, they have repented of that Friday night rabbinic Sabbath. So thank God we'll get many, many more people because that's another thing. That's defilement from the spirit of Antichrist. Yep. And I'll read that scripture again. Uh, Proverbs twenty three twenty seven: for a whore is a deep ditch and a strange woman is a narrow pit. And there are people that are lifted up today. Sad to say, it is no longer godly women. And we've got some tremendously godly women that are mighty, mighty women for God. We're so thankful we know a lot of really godly ladies. And uh, I won't say a lot, like thousands, but there's several good ones we know that we're very thankful for. But the women that are lifted up on television, uh, they brag about their often not just affairs with men, but with women. Uh, And they're made to look so pretty. They're lifted up and they're... um, They're just made to just look so pretty and lifted up. And I want to read what Thomas Watson said about it. And this will be kind of a reality check for us. And it puts it more into biblical perspective. It says, and he quotes Proverbs 23, 27. She is a common drain, whereas a believer's body is a living temple and his soul is a little heaven. Be spangled with the graces of as so many stars, the body of a harlot is a walking dunghill and her soul, a lesser hell, you know, and not many people think of these ungodly women that are lifted up on television as a walking dunghill because they just, uh, are just made to propagate 
and encourage the enticement of sin, but they're walking dunghills. That's what they are. They're just walking dunghills. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just uh, more disgusting uh, than a common toilet. Now, something else we're going to touch on here. A lot of things we really need to talk about in this scripture, but also we want to touch uh, on the teaching of Roman Catholicism, how it forbids marriage, and there are other uh, some wackadoodle cults that do the same thing. There were some of the Essenes that also did this in the time of Christ. First uh, Timothy four and one. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. This is just uh, a terrible thing to deny people to marry. And we have to be very, very careful of in counseling people and forbidding them to marry. There's times when the Bible says you're not free to marry, but this is something that really has to be judiciously dealt with. In Leviticus 1 and 7, and the sons of Aaron the priest. Now, for the sons of Aaron the priest to exist, Aaron had to have a wife, just like Moses had a wife. And in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8 and verse 14, and when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother. Now, Peter, who was supposedly the first pope, and that's a porky, uh, he had a wife, but now we can't have wives. I mean, it's obvious the devilment that has come into Roman Catholicism. You'd think they would have made Paul the first pope. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's this is just truly a doctrine of devils. And uh, the Lord only knows how many little children, little boys and little girls have been defiled mm. by that monster that is Roman Catholicism. It's, it's horrible. This is something that has been totally revealed to everybody. It's into the thousands and probably even into the millions. Um, in first Corinthians chapter nine and verse five, have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as the other apostles, you know, Paul, there is saying, I have a right to get married just like all the other apostles. So it is the most unbiblical devilish of doctrines to say that you can't be married. I mean, this is just demonic. Uh, we need to be aware of it. And, uh, it's, it's just absolutely demonic. We need to understand that marriage is God's answer against sexual sin. It absolutely is. Now, there's one more aspect we have to talk about in our DLC today, and that is spiritual adultery. And, oh boy, uh, when we think about the damnableness of adultery, and really how far reaching it is. And we've seen this with every one of the Ten Commandments. That, boy, there's so much to them. James chapter 4 and 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whoso 
whoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. If you're a worldly, quote unquote, Christian, you're God's enemy. This is the biggest enemy God has is people that name the name of Christ and are yoked with the world. You're an adulterer. You're bound for hell. You know, James has a lot of scriptures in it. That's why a lot of people didn't want that book in the Bible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's straight to the point. And I love, I'll have to read, uh, and well, I have several times, but Thomas Manton wrote a commentary on James and Jude, and boy, they're worth the worth the price of admission. Mm. Revelation seventeen five. False religion is called harlotry, and upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the the great, the mother of harlots, abominations of the earth. When you are attending and lifting up an apostate church, you are committing spiritual adultery. This is going to send a lot of people to hell. I talk a lot about this because this is something uh, people think nothing about, um, but it'll send you to hell. Mm-hmm. People have got to understand that the re- there's a reality to that. The old girl's called a whore for a reason. That's because idolatrous religion is harlotry in the eyes of the father. And uh, it's going to send a lot of people to hell. Now, I mean, God abhors adultery anyway. I mean, there's a scripture that talks about that I was reading. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can't see and, it at the moment, but he yeah. abhors. And that's why he uses that analogy a lot, you know. And it's as just as heinous a crime for a person to commit spiritual adultery as it is the actual act of physical adultery. Now let's read a couple things from Ezekiel in the book of Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 35. Wherefore, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. You know, and a lot of people, they say, well, I wonder who the harlot is. And there's a, uh, yeah, the Roman Catholicism, it's sure the harlot, almost every, uh, branch of organized religion has become the harlot, but the original harlot was Israel. Wherefore, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. And what I ask people, by the time Jesus came and when Jesus lived upon the earth, had Israel repented and changed? The obvious answer is no. They were still the harlot when Jesus walked upon the earth. They put him to death. And I'll ask the next obvious question. Has Israel repented now? The obvious answer is no. They still reject Christ and they exceed uh, almost every nation on earth for unbridled sin mm-hmm. and uh, public lasciviousness. So Israel's still hard. Nothing has changed from the time that Ezekiel spoke these words. Wherefore, O harlot, hear the word of the Lord. And as people they want to gloss over everything. They want to think that uh, we can live like the devil and still be God's people. And they think Israel can do that too, that they can literally be a harlot. That's what and, I was just thinking about. How does that How does that thought process even exist? That God would be okay with this kind of lifestyle, you know, when he clearly 
talks about it all the time. Yeah. And Israel is the harlot. And um, in Revelation 11 and 8, it specifically talks about Israel at the end of time, near the time of the Lord's return, and in regard with the two witnesses. And it says, and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. That's, you, you can't argue with the location of that. No. We know where that's at. <clears throat> no. And to get, it's nothing but satanic brainwashing to make people believe these doctrines they're believing. They're truly doctrines of devils. Doctrines yeah. of devils yeah. is all they are. And anybody that wants to make the word of God their final authority is going to repent. And you need to repent if you're believing these lies because they're clearly lies. Mm -hmm. uh, back just a little more from Ezekiel 20, verse 16, rather 20 and 21. Moreover, thou hast taken thy sons and thy daughters whom thou hast borne unto me, and these hast thou sacrificed unto them to be devoured. Is this of thy whoredoms a small matter? <laughs> you know, is it a small matter to sacrifice little children on the altar of abortion? Is this a small matter? Well, it pretty much is a small matter. Uh, oh, I'm pro-choice. Uh, I'm pro-life. Okay. Uh, you know, thou hast slain my children and delivered them to cause them to pass through the fire for them. Not only, and we talked about this in the um, thou shalt not kill uh, DOC, abortion's murder. Abortion is also damnable uh, spiritual adultery. This is another sin, just like adultery itself. It breaks multiple commandments. That's the way this is. This is a heinous crime. And as we talked down in our other DOC, this is one of the crying sins that cries out to God. Mm. Uh, it is just horrific. And it's taken so lightly mm. in verse 26. Thou hast also committed fornication with the Egyptians, thy neighbors. Freemasonry is based upon the mysteries of Egypt, the Isis Osiris. They say that. And, you know, uh, it's another just such an easy thing to bring the uh, mystery rites of Egypt into our church. And, yeah, you can be your pastor or deacon. Hi, brother. I love you. And that's another thing. It's idolatry. It's adultery. And uh, God hates these things. He hates these things. People today, they don't have a problem with it. And uh, in verse 28, thou hast played the whore also with the Assyrians because thou wast unstable. Yea, thou hast played the harlot with them and yet couldest not be satisfied. Thou hast moreover multiplied thy fornication in the land of Canaan. Now, I want to think about this. This will kind of be our final thought. And in the um, scripture, in Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 1, and the scriptures here are so tight, there's not a way to uh, intelligently say they mean anything else than what they do. You can say, well, they're passed away. We don't believe them, whatever you want to say, but that don't mean they're passed away. In Jeremiah 3 and 1, it says, they say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played 
the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Now, here again, spiritual adultery is being compared with physical adultery and the great pollution. And here again, the ability to repent is being put out. You know, repent. You can come back to me. Please do. But oh, right over in Jeremiah 10, the theme is continued. And in Jeremiah chapter 10, we'll begin in verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth the tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers that it move not. This is a custom of the heathen. It's a custom of the heathen. Of It goes all the way back into the time of the Canaanites over and over. Don't bring the things of Egypt and Assyria into your worship. That sounds like a Christmas tree. It, it, what you think? Yeah, I bet it is. You know, I mean, it's so clear. And, it, you know, some people say, well, I I can believe this or not. I, I tell you what, this is it's a, not a little thing in Leviticus 18, verse 29. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Therefore, shall you keep mine ordinance that you commit not any one of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that ye defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. Now, what did it say in Jeremiah 10? For the custom of the people is vain. It's an adulterous pagan custom. The Bible says, you do any of these, you're going to be cut off. The Father has a zero tolerance level from bringing in the paganism of Egypt, the paganism of Assyria, Canaan, he clearly says, if you add these things to my worship, you're committing adultery and you're going to be out of care. This is why over and over again, I lift up my Puritan brothers that said, it's the Bible, it's the Bible only. If it's not in the Bible, we don't do it. If it's in the Bible, we do do it. You have to be that focused like a laser beam to walk in that life that's pleasing to God because that is just how far-reaching this commandment is on thou shalt not commit adultery. With all of my heart.